welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, hope you're having a great week this week. So my guest today is Dr. Fiona Patharaja, and we are making a bit of an announcement with her today. And let me tell you why. So Fiona is a consultant radiologist by background, but she is now the founder and managing partner at a brand new fund called Chris Degali Ventures. So Chris Degali Ventures is a health tech specific fund investing pan-Europe in early stage companies that are building the future of healthcare. They also have a really cool initiative called Christogali Labs, which is looking at pre-seed stuff, but they invest all the way up to Series A. So on this episode today, we're going to talk to Fiona about her background. She's got an awesome background. Her and I have a lot in common coming from medicine into the worlds that we're in now. We're going to talk about some of the companies that they're invested in. Got a few names that you're going to recognize there, including Neil from Skin Analytics, who's been on this podcast before. Fiona's launching her own podcast called the Health Tech VC, so we're going to hear about that. So yeah, hope you enjoy this one, guys. So Fiona, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good. Thank you very much for having me. Really pleased to be here. You're very welcome. I was, good. I was saying before that like, you're probably one of the uh, only guests that's listened to uh, a load of episodes before coming on, so uh, <laughs> a bit existential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Cool. So, uh, yeah, the way we start these podcasts, as you know, is that we get guests to tell their story. And obviously, you've got a, a fascinating background, similar to me as a doctor. You found your way into investing, loads of cool stuff in the middle. So, yeah, by all means, why don't you tell us a bit of your story? Gosh, that's a big ask. Um, I, <laughs> I, um, I went to medical school in London at UCL and many years ago, I wanted to be a neurologist. And I did my, my intercalated BS in uh, in neuroscience and I was like you know, really going to be a neurologist and then slowly realized neurology and its long time frames wasn't really for me and decided I want to be a surgeon so I went to um I went to uh, UCH which was where I graduated and, and in 2006 worked as a house officer and then you know did the foundation years and a year of A&E and at that point I decided you know what like there must be something else here that's going on and I want to be part of the bigger picture. And so I um, took a year out in, I think, like 2008 and became a management consultant for a year. And I went out to go and get like use some skills to learn how to manage people. Um, because actually when I was an F2 at the Royal Free, I went and spoke to somebody who was a manager there and said, look, you know, I'm an F2, I'm really keen. I want to get involved with being, you know, in management here and they sort of laughed at me a bit and said you know you don't have any skills really and you're it's great that you're enthusiastic but you know you can't really monetize enthusiasm um <laughs> interesting <laughs> so maybe i just spoke to the wrong person but i was a bit put off and i thought you know what i'm not taking no i'm for an answer i'm going to go out there and get management skills and you know the funny thing about being a management consultant is i wasn't any different on day zero that i was you know as a young doctor the day before mm. but they were like youth here is not in you know an impediment for you being part of the team so go out there and you know get stuff done different mindset exactly so then from there i spent a year getting loads of skills like lo learn lots of stuff realized management consulting isn't really where i want to be and it was really a means to an end for me ended up my client there was diffid the department for international development oh yeah and from there, I ended up meeting people and I ended up, um, I mean, I say headhunted, but essentially somebody said, oh, you'd be great for this new scheme that's going uh, happening at the Department of Health, where the chief medical officer, Sir Liam Donaldson, is picking great young doctors interested in management and bringing them in for a year or two and developing them as leaders and getting them to work um, you know, at the Department of Health. Mm. 
So there were four of us working with Bruce Keogh, or young doctors, and we came from a variety of different backgrounds, gynecology, surgery, medicine, and then me, who sort of just finished F2 and done this year as a management consultant. And, um, you know, we were running great quality projects inside the Department of Health in various different areas, from patient safety to quality improvement to medical education. And it really felt like you know, we were at the heart of the action at the Department of Health and, and really doing stuff. And I had pondered whether I stay in policy after the couple of years there and, and kind of realized, you know, policy is a little bit slow. It's not quite for me. And my boss at the time, Bruce Keogh, said to me, look, you know, you are great and you've got so many skills. But at the same time, if you want to stay in medicine, you should probably go and get a specialty because at the moment you're this sort of pluripotent uh, trainee. Um, so I went back and I went to UCH and started radiology training. So I finished, um, I started that in 2011, finished um, and all my training there in London and got a start as a consultant doing gynae oncology radiology there. Um, and then, as you know, I took time out towards the end of training to do an MBA at London Business School. And that's where I like my whole life and my view on life completely changed. So um, on that first bit of your story, then, I mean, there's, there's so many parallels to like how I went through the system as well in terms of really early on wanting to go and speak to management. And as you say, like this enthusiasm of like, I want to do that. I want to make impact in this way. I want to do this sort of stuff. And then having this like dose of realism just thrown at you, just like, hold on a minute, get back in your box, go and go and do clinical medicine and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's interesting because I think I, you know, similar to you, I was like super enthusiastic for this stuff and thought I could do everything. And whilst there's value in trying to do all of that stuff. There is still a pretty difficult specialty to learn in, in, in medicine. But as I say, I mean, I, I persisted with it and I just ended up doing all that stuff in my spare time. And, and similar to you, I then ended up on probably what you working for Bruce Keogh became, which was then Bruce Keogh's scheme. So that, that whole leadership scheme. And I ended mm. up on that, mm. which is, which is interesting. And then had a similar thing to you again, when you were like, I was thinking, how can I carve out a career path for me in policy? Because maybe that's where you can make all the impact. And again, I thought it was slow and and and, and got this dose of realism versus enthusiasm, even in policy, because I was like, we could be doing all these different things in policy. We could be doing this, we could be doing that. And I think it then occurred to me, I suppose similar to you, that that in a, you know the business world or the startup world or somewhere where that enthusiasm can actually be harvested rather than it be seen as either threatening or you know, not the done thing was definitely where I needed to go and find my tribe, if you know what I mean. Exactly. And I think one of the important things is that, you know, we go to, I spent 10 years interviewing um, on the UCL medical school interview panel. So all the 18 year old, you know, pre-doctors coming to medical school, I would interview that, I would literally do that job for 10 years. And actually, one of the things that really struck me there is that they're so overachieving, you know, they're, yeah. they're doing these incredible things and they have so much passion. And how do we end up with 30 year old doctors who were the those 18 year olds who were so you know, inspired and passionate sort of just being like, you know, no change doesn't happen in the NHS. This is the yeah. system. There's nothing we can do about it. I, I think that that's, you know, the system is doing that. I think that's wrong. Mm. It's, it's a tough one and it's, it's hard because it is a big system. It trains a lot of people, you know, the, the national health service here in the UK, like it's, I don't, I don't know either. I don't know how we, how we get to that, whether it's that we squeeze too much and we rob them of free time and that free thinking time to go out and do those different things. I don't, I don't know what it is actually. I mean, I spoke with Mark from Aviva and I have talked about this on a number of occasions and, you know, he's a doctor ended up founding Aviva. They've just done series B. Like 
there's, I mean, there's loads of people that I talk about this with, and I guess the answer is I don't know, but I'm, I'm with you in the sense that it'd be, it, the schemes like that, that leadership scheme that, um, that you and I sort of, sort of did, you did a lot closer to Bruce Gear than, than I was, but, um, I think there are, you know, the schemes like that are so important. And I think those are the types of things that people need to be encouraged to do. And I think there's, there's so much about flexible working that I think could be better and all these different things that can allow people then to go and harvest these things. But I, you know, I, I really admire the fact that you went to go and do an MBA afterwards because it can feel a bit bitty your career when you start doing these things, because you've got everybody, your colleagues, you know, following the path and and on the way to consultancy and all these different things, although, you know, you obviously got there as well, but then obviously achieving things in, in clinical medicine, but to, you know, take those steps and to figure out, you know what, I'm just going to expand my skill set. I'm going to follow what I enjoy. I think that's, that's so important, but it sounds like it was a real kind of revelationary experience to you, that MBA. I mean, it absolutely was. And I think that, you know, I went into it with a very practical uh, approach saying, you know, I want to be a CEO of a hospital trust. That's what I want to do. It's very clear, very clear. Like, I want to make change in the public sector. I want to dedicate my life to doing that. Yeah. That's what I felt. So I went to the MBA to gain skills in actually, you know, all the stuff I didn't know or hadn't had formal training in. So yeah. management accounting, you know, corporate finance, all of these sort of things that I was like, oh, I can learn these at this world famous business school from amazing professors. And what I didn't really get is actually the MBA is about that, but it's also about so much more, which is around the network that you get, the mindset that you get from you hanging out with people who are so different. And you mentioned finding your tribe. And actually throughout my career in medicine, I always thought, you know, gosh, I'm very different to everyone else that I mm. encounter. Most people are not like me in medicine. And I came to the MBA, I was like, oh my God, everyone here is the same as me. You know, yeah. everyone wants to do something and, and, and do sort of make a change and actually feels like, you know, we won't take no for an answer. Let's get stuff done. And um, I, I found it an incredible experience. It opened my eyes in so many different ways. I'd highly recommend it. Um, and, you know, even now when someone contacts me and said, look, I went to LBS and I did X, Y, and Z in the past, would you mind having half an hour for coffee? Always make time for them because the community there is so strong. Yeah. And that's really nice. And it's nice to feel part of that and be, to be able to be in a position now to give back to that as well. What was it like as a doctor on an MBA? And the reason that I ask is that I imagine there are lots of people in healthcare that think about, that are thinking about doing this, you know, they might want to get into health tech. It might be seen as a way to kind of get a stamp of approval or a badge on the CV that can allow you to make a move into health tech. I mean, what was it like for you? being a doctor on an MBA and, and coming from that real clinical side, whereas people, I suppose, I suppose were coming from all sorts of angles. Yeah. And actually there were in my year, there were only two of us from the public sector. There was me. And then there was a lady who worked, who ran an NGO. Um, so to start off with, you know, we're very alien in that environment because everybody else was in management consulting, investment banking, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So one of the things is that's quite unique is people want to come and talk to you. They want to hear what it's like working in the NHS. You know, people, they don't want to meet another management consultant or investment banker. They want to hear about your experience. So I found that really you know, nice and, mm. and, and welcoming. And then I also learned the power of, you know, uh, we were put into these study groups to, um, to, to basically study and do, do assignments <laughs> with. And I, I realized that, you know, actually, if, just because I don't understand the basics of corporate finance, there's a corporate finance expert in our study group. You know, I can develop a working relationship with him and perhaps a friendship with him. So 
I learned a lot through sort of groups and, you know, from other people there as well. So I was a bit daunted when I started off and everybody's like, oh, I, you know, run an asset management company or whatever it is. And it sounded a little bit very outside my comfort zone. But, you know, medics are cover and bright and you quickly, you know, scale that curve. And I had no problems, you know, after a couple of weeks in the MBA, actually in the class, saying what I think about a case study or my opinion on something specific. So I think it, it's a, it's a, if a medic's out there thinking about doing it, it is a commitment, you know, financially and also in time. And, you know, if you're a younger person thinking about doing that, you should maybe think, do I do it full time and take time out um, to do it? Or do I do it executive, which means part time every other weekend kind of thing. And also thinking about, you know, writing a business case. So I, you know, um, had to negotiate with my training program director who was like, you need to get your exam, the FRCR first before doing it. So maybe think about, you know, how you will sell this to your training program, especially if you're, you know, still in training and thinking about doing it. It sounds a lot more collaborative actually than competitive, which is what I, you know, having not done an MBA, I would have always assumed that when you've got all these high achievers in one melting pot, there's going to be an element of uh, competition, but it sounds like the collaboration seems to take precedent over the competition, which seems nice. Yeah, and I would definitely say that because, you know, um, now I've got my own company and all of this and actually two of the the person who's uh, my partner in the company is somebody I met on the at LBS. And then two of my advisors are also friends of mine you know, from LBS. And also the former LBS dean is one of the advisors to my company. So, you know, the community is really collaborative. But I think you have to go with that attitude because if you're, you know, sort of thinking, actually, I'm going to compete with everyone and try and be the best and all of this, then you know, it taught me medicine's very like a lone wolf kind of scenario where you're, you know, kind of there, you're not, you work in teams, but everyone's really about their career and their self, right? Especially but- a radiologist, you know, <laughs> in that room. Just- <laughs> no, Dana, we, we worked in, we work plenty in teams, but my point is, <laughs> my point is that, you know, there is a lot of competition, especially early on in medicine, which, you know, I really didn't see being part of the, part of the MBA. I love that. So let's, get to the next bit in the story then so you've alluded to it that you've met you've met a business partner you've you've now got advisors from the same group obviously this this network just sounds glorious but um let's move on to the to the funds so your company so tell us the story yeah so um my company is called Crystal Galley Ventures and we are a health tech fund um which has just launched and it's very exciting congratulations um, thank you um so you, you know we this is something that started essentially as an idea that I had you know, many, many years ago when I was a young doctor and thinking I want to make change in the NHS, change in healthcare. And I realized over time that it's very difficult to do that inside, inside such a big, you know, sort of slow system. So I decided, okay, I need to make change from the outside. And when I went on the MBA, I was sort of having these thoughts in the background, but it's only now that, that in, I think it was in 2017 that I realized, look, I can't, I had made a commitment to myself to actually be, stay in the NHS, but it's just not going to work. My personality and what I stand for actually doesn't work best in that environment. So I decided I need to do it from the outside. And, you know, I'm lucky that I've got a single investor and, you know, we, we don't, we don't have a traditional limited partner model, which means that there's only one investor, which means we can make agile decisions and do things, you know, in a fairly quick way. We've so far invested in 15 companies. We invest across the whole of Europe. Um, so from Sweden to Spain, we have lots of different companies in three specific areas, deep technology, so AI and machine learning, then 
personalized medicine, so companies that are innovating around the genome, epigenetics, um, and then also um, uh, digital health. So these so B2B, B2C um, applications that are helping chronic disease management. Amazing. Well, first of all, congratulations. I mean, it's no, it's no mean feat raising a fund, let me tell you that. So I think you've done an awesome job doing it. And I think the, the, the questions that I have, I mean, I've got so many, but the first thing that I want to point to is, is about, I guess, you and, and the realization of your personality, that kind of self-awareness that you don't have the personality to be grinding away, trying to do something in a system that doesn't fit you. And actually, you then through everything that you've done with the MBA and, and elsewhere, you've figured out that your personality is actually more suited to this kind of world, not only business, but actually then investing. And so what is it about investing for you that attracted you or indeed, you know, made you think, okay, I'm going to embark on this path to try and raise a fund because I think investing is right for me. So what was it about investing? That, what, what is it that you enjoy, I suppose, about, about the investing side? Um, I mean, it sounds glib, but you know, I I've always wanted to create change, and I know that can be seen as like a meaningless statement. But that's well, you've how said I it a few feel. times. I don't think that's an accident. That's how I, I feel you, I on the inside. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, I think that when I did try to work as a hospital consultant, and it had been my dream. You know, when I was at UCH in two thousand and six as a house officer, I was like, my God, it would be amazing to be a consultant here. And then I got to that job, and I was like, my gosh, is this it? Because actually, being a consultant. It is, you know, great. And I had lots of amazing colleagues, but it is very repetitive. You know, you have a job plan and you stick to it and you do the same thing every week, you know, with a bit of variation around the side. And I had, the, as you say, self-awareness to realize that's not what I want. So what I love about investing is, you know, no day is the same. You know, here I am on your podcast talking about <laughs> investing and, and my journey. You know, I might have conversations with, with loads of different startups you know, meet interesting co-investors, travel across Europe for, for various things, go to conferences, obviously not now in COVID, but you know, pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think the idea of that, that it's there's so much variety and everyone I meet is also, you know, in general, wanting to create change and shape the future of healthcare. And that positivity and that energy that I get from other people as well is something that I, I find incredible. And I wasn't finding that all the time in hospital. Amazing. So... Tell me more about the fund then. So I'm interested in the companies that you're investing in. Obviously, it's an interesting space, isn't it, for for health tech investing? Because it, it it's always struck me that there has never really been a health tech-specific fund. There are obviously funds that are better at it than others. There are obviously funds that have an entire function and team that's dedicated to this stuff. But in terms of a health tech specific fund that has the ability to not only pick the best based on good information and sort of informed, uh, I guess, fund managers, but also from a point of view of being able to help those companies, it seems that a health tech specific fund always seemed like a very good idea. And, and obviously that's what we've got in, in Christogali Ventures and what you're doing. So with all that knowledge that you have and, and all the ability to then select those companies, tell me about how you make those decisions. Tell me about some of the companies you've invested in and kind of talk me through what it's like, your process in terms of bringing those people on and then helping them as, as once you have invested in them. I think you, before we talk about that, I think you mentioned something important that, you know, there are not that many health tech funds and it is slowly becoming, you know, more of a thing, but there is a dearth of health tech only funds. I, you know, accept that. And I think it's kind of great that people, you know, now realize that, you know, healthcare is unlocking now because whilst all these, you know, finance and retail, all these sectors have 
been digitizing, you know, patients are now realizing, wait, why can't I rate my doctor online? Why can't I book my appointments or, you know, speak to my doctor online? And I think that, you know, especially now with COVID, it's really turbocharged that. So we're now in a space which is really exciting, both from an investor and a founder point, because actually healthcare is digitizing now and, and everyone wants to sort of get, get involved with it. Um, one of the things that I, I'm obviously very different to lots of these other people in, in, in emerging health tech funds because I, they talk a lot about, sort of, especially in USVC, about being an operator, mm. which means you know somebody who's ideally worked in a big tech company or started their own tech startup, made it successful, then sold it, and then become a VC. And I was reflecting on this and thinking, you know what, actually, I'd be an operator in a different way. I rolled up my sleeves and got stuck in at the healthcare front line, you know, seeing patients in A&E, assisting in surgeries, you know, doing interventional procedures, running MDTs, all that stuff gives me a very different view to lots of other investors in this space. Because first I realized, you know, what's driving and what's motivating people in healthcare. And then also sort of thinking about actually, you know, what are the different stakeholders here? Because healthcare, whether we like it or not, is a complex and regulated environment. You know, you can't just go in there and say, hey, I've got a great idea and a great tech. Let's, you know, shake things up and make things happen because there's people's lives at risk here. Um, and so in terms of the companies, I'm, I, my own pattern is obviously around radiology. So I have a lot <laughs> of radiology companies because I really believe, you know, we have a massive shortage of radiologists. We, you know, as the world is, is as medicine moves on, most decisions, you know, are not done without some sort of radiological input. And so with this massive, you know, uh, shortage of radiologists, we need artificial intelligence, machine learning to be part of that work stream to help with the massive burden on, on radiologist time. So I have a lot of deep tech radiology companies in our portfolio um, uh, to talk about some of them. Context Flow in Vienna um, help improve radiologist workflow, which basically means making the life of the radiologist more efficient. Smart reporting in Germany um, are creating smart templates for radiologists for the report that they produce to try and make that more intelligent and quicker for a radiologist to do. And also in the future for easier, more understandable for patients to read. So they're using AI with that. And then some of the other companies we have are in the digital health space. You know, there are ones around, for example, Ampersand is in, in London. It's a seed stage company. It is based around trying to um, do chronic disease management around Crohn's. And, you know, one of my best friends has Crohn's. And I just realized that actually it's not at the time of seeing your consultant that you know, matters as much. It's those times in between. And how do you manage that? How do you have an understanding of your, you know, your symptoms? So these are some of the types of companies that I'm passionate about. Nice. And I think what's coming through there as well is that with the position that you've got to and the fact that you're now investing in these companies, it's almost allowing your personality to come back through and it make you're allowed to be personal in what you invest in. Like, that's okay. It's your fund. You can do what you like. And actually you can have this personal experience in what everything you've done in radiology. You can have this personal experience with a friend with Crohn's disease. And you can actually, you know, I've said this on a few podcasts now, somebody said to me once that investors pick the world we live in next. And it's so true in the sense that you can have this, you know, vision of what you want to achieve and vision of what you want the world to be, vision of how you want patient care to change. And you can actually, you know, add real fuel to that and and help rocket us there quite almost literally like, um, 
so I think I think that's really nice. And so when you're looking at founders and companies, what are you looking for? What traits are you looking for in those individuals? What sort of stage is right for you with companies? Things like that. Um, I would say that the best founders are the ones who have real grit and resilience and focus. So that's what I that's what speaks to me. So I've just invested in Skin Analytics, which is a company that's using AI to um, help solve the issue of skin cancer so they're using ai to diagnose skin cancer and you know neil daly um who instantly also went to lbs started building his company in 2012 right and it's still going today he's been really dogged in the way that he's you know determined to solve this issue so i, I find that incredible the team at context flow have been working together since 2016. you know it's i think that people who have a real use case that they're solving for something or an issue that they're solving and really believe in what they're doing speaks to me the idea that someone can tell me their story and get me to buy into it is something that I, I like, the ability to tell the story as opposed to saying, I have amazing technology. It's like, that's great, but what's the use here? Who's going to buy it and use it? And then I think the ability to lead a team and get others to buy the vision. So if the rest of the team seem you know, not so enthusiastic as the founder, you've got to sort of figure out why that is. And I think it's a, it's a hard thing to, to figure out in a conversation, but actually people who understand that healthcare is complex, you know, and the best founders in the health tech space, I think, really understand the patient pathway and the clinician pathways and are humble enough to realize, you know, we might not know everything here. Um, and, and talking of humbleness, if that's a word, um, I think the idea of somebody who is coachable, you know, I think the, a bad characteristic of a founder is somebody who's so fixed in their view that actually they can't be coached into, into a better version of themselves. I absolutely agree. And yeah, to sum up there, so yeah, mo the motivation to be doing what they're doing, I think is so important. And I think that's something that we're so blessed with in health tech in the sense that founders so often have this kind of deep motivation for what they're doing, which then gives them that grit. They've, there's often a personal experience with a friend, a family member, their own experience of going through something. There's it, because that you, you're going to have to wake up and run through so many brick walls and that can be exhausting. And there's got to be something driving you behind it to, to go and do all that stuff. So that motivation is so important. That leads to then that resilience. But it's interesting that you then talked about communication and leadership as well. You know, the ability to sell that vision to you, the ability to be a good leader and all these different things. It's interesting that you put a lot of weight towards skills i suppose rather than necessarily they've got to have been a doctor they've got to have been a management consultant they've got to have been an investment banker see you know you didn't mention any of that you're more interested then in saying you know humility they've got to be humble they've got to be listeners they've got to be coachable and i think that all of those things are so true because ultimately there's just so many challenges that you're going to go through between now and that company potentially exiting that the framework of that individual is so much more important than just the appendages that have been stuck on with certain jobs and certain things right so i i'm in complete agreement and the founders that i know that are successful the founders that i know that have done so well with their careers and their companies are exactly all of those different things and so it's absolutely no surprise to me that um that you're looking for those different things and so what about geography then you talked about you talked about pan europe i mean how pan europe are you is it literally everywhere in europe um that you're looking I mean we're looking everywhere in Europe. We're currently say, yeah. not everywhere. It's hard to invest in literally everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we're in we're in seven countries, including the UK and various countries in in Europe. Um, yeah. 
We have offices in London and Copenhagen, um, and we are looking across Europe. And actually, one of our advisors, Petter, who is um, one of my friends who is based in Serbia, is sort of helping us with look, looking at the Balkans and, and sort of different areas more in maybe Eastern Europe as well. Um, so I think that it's actually really interesting because there's so many differences in the way that people work and the way that hospitals and, you know, healthcare is run in, in various different areas. And a classic example is um, with Context Flow in Vienna. I One of their products is amazing. It's called Triage, which helps to uh, sort of uh, prioritize this massive list of uh, radiology cases before the radiologist has looked at it. And I think that's the best thing ever. And if we had that at UCLH back in the day, you know, we would have been so much more efficient. Because the radiologist sees 100 scans and actually you start with the oldest one, but Context Flow will say actually you start with number 42 because that's the sickest one. Wow. But interestingly enough, the feedback from Viennese um, doctors and German doctors, I think, is that actually that only works in places where there's big backlogs, where the radiologist is looking at 100 scans. Because, of course, in, in places you know, in the Dutch region, which is you know, uh, Germany, Austria and Switzerland, perhaps they don't have these big backlogs that we have in the sure. NHS. So there's a lot of geographical variation, you know, which I think is, is really fascinating. And also, you know, a good differentiator for your fund in the sense that you understand that. And I think, again, that is so important. Knowing those local geographies is not only important when you're making decisions on investment, because, you know, take an example where, a, a company in a com in a country with a huge backlog develops a product and all of a sudden in their roadmap, they're like, oh, and we're going to scale to all these different regions. Well, actually, the knowledge that you have in-house is, well, first of all, I've been a radiologist, so you're not going to get anything past me there. And secondly, actually, I know all these different countries and what their healthcare ecosystems are like, and so you're not going to get anything past me there either. So while you might be saying you can scale into all these regions, actually, there's no backlog, so they don't like it there. And I think it's that kind of, you know, not only health tech specific knowledge, but geography specific knowledge that means that you're going to make the best decisions and you're going to be able to give the best help, right? Because I think a lot of funds talk about we're founder first and we we offer loads of support and, and you know, all those different things. But it's it's really tangible as to how you're going to do that, particularly when you're invested so heavily in, in radiology too. I mean, it, it must be it must be satisfying as well to, to be able to, you know, not only hand the money out, but then to to actually get involved. You, you don't have to be an operator in the company when you've got the strategic mind to say, I've been there, I've done it, I understand it, and I've also got these contacts and all the rest of it. I mean, yeah, talk to you about some of the support stuff, I guess, you, you do. Um, so, uh, you know, basic things like our network and our extended network is really powerful. So whether it's, you know, you're a rheumatology company, you would probably know rheumatologists in the NHS, rheumatologists in private practice, so key opinion leaders that we can put you in touch with. Um, we help sometimes where necessary with go-to-market strategy development, market access um, for companies, introducing them to future capital and other investors, mm. and then advising them as they grow to Series A, because obviously some of the companies we meet are at seed stage and that's sort of getting to that bigger stage. And also sometimes where necessary, we join the boards as well, especially in some of the earlier companies that might need more help. Um, and the plan is once we actually you know, get going a bit more is to find synergies between our portfolio companies, because for example, a lot of the deep tech companies will have similar issues that they're facing. So it might be useful to get them together to discuss some of the, what, you know, how they can overcome it together. Nice. So my next question is about I suppose going back to the landscape a bit more, but in a slightly different way, so not necessarily geographical, but I know you talked about before about the the lack of health tech funds in general, but they're obviously starting to pop up. Mm. 
What else do you see about the investment landscape in health tech? And I, I suppose I mean that more from an individual level. And I suppose my question is loaded here in the sense that you are a female founder of a VC fund. You are ethnic minority. I imagine you don't come across many like yourself, particularly in the investment world in general, whether or not it's more or less in health tech, I don't know. But I'm interested in your thoughts on the space from from that perspective, because I know also that you're quite passionate about this stuff. And so, yeah, I'm interested to, to hear a bit more from you on it. I mean, yes, there is a there is a dearth of, you know, female and ethnic minority investors, I think, and especially in health tech and especially in the deep tech space. So, you know, I'll, I'll go to a lot of these meetings with founders or with investors around deep tech and everybody is a young or old white straight male. And as much as I love white straight males, my, my partner is one of them. <laughs> um, you know, um, there is there is a need for more representation, right? And I think that it, it's, it's some of the, the things, I mean, obviously I bring diversity because I'm a doctor as well, but yeah. You know, when you think about things, I, the other day I was raging on Twitter about, I went to find some stock photos of doctors and they're all old white men. I'm like, where are the women here? You know, and then even simple things like in the deep tech space, lots of the data sets we use are on Caucasian people, you know, and the, uh, with Neil Daly and Skin Analytics, it reminded me of dermatology. When you see, you know, certain dermatological lesions in medical text, it's on, you know, white skin. So how about, what does that look like on Asian skin or black skin? So it's just, really thinking about the unconscious biases that we have. And I think it's so important that we have diversity, both on the investor side and the founder side, because it does make a difference. And, you know, there is lots of evidence to say that teams that are more diverse have better outcomes. Um, and then to that end, as you say, I am passionate about it. And we decided, you know what, instead of just talking about diversity and saying, you know, it's really important, etc. what are we going to do? Because when I turn the mirror on ourselves, you know, very few of our founders are female and ethnic minority. So exactly. And so, you know, I decided, okay, we need to do something about it. So we've started something called Krista Galley Labs, which is um, an initiative, which is supposed to encourage and improve diversity in health tech at an early stage. So it's a, for pre-seed companies, because usually we would invest at seed and series A. And so pre-seed companies will be too early for us, really. But I decided to start this because we want to give at least 50% of that capital at this pre-seed stage to underrepresented founders. And not, you know, underrepresented, but amazing, great founders who happen to be under from underrepresented backgrounds. That's awesome. And I imagine that's, again, like pretty rewarding in the sense that you can, you can push your personality on this. Like clearly it's something you're passionate about. And you're in a position now to be able to do that. I mean, it must be it must be nice going to work every day, being able to being able to have that level of control over something that that could have so much impact in the future, right? I mean, I suppose labs must be um, it, it must be looking at some pretty cool ideas. Yeah, and actually, yeah, I have to tell you about them because some of them are really great. So far, we've only got four, and I've got two in the pipeline. But um, so there's a company that's developing an organ on a chip, um, which is essentially around trying to make sure that it's around personalized medicine to make sure that the tumor drugs that we are giving, um, anti-tumor drugs, I should say, in oncology are actually more personalized. And some people might have some more significant side effects. So, you know, how do we try and stratify that? Um, there's a company which I really love called Juno Bio. It has a female founder and she um, is trying to work on the vaginal microbiome. Mm -hmm. um, and she said to me, you know, someone told me when I was going into a um, investor pitch, you know, don't mention the word vagina. 
I'm just like, my God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> exactly. It's just so, and then there's two more. Uh, one is Astronica, which is um, now a little bit beyond pre-seed. Um, and they're using computer vision in helping rheumatology patients um, and motor assessments there. And the last one is Vitru Health, which is uh, also computer vision, but more in the corporate wellness space. Um, and they're trying oh, to nice. get into football clubs. Yeah, and exactly. Um, Shane and Alex are both very dynamic people. Oh, awesome. So I'm interested now. Obviously, we've talked about all the all the good things and how amazing it is to push your personality on this stuff. But obviously, you know, at the individual level, running a fund can't be easy. Um, I'm interested in what the challenges are or what the challenges have been for you in kind of setting this up and getting to the point you are now with all these different investments. Yeah, I, I'm interested in, I suppose, the, the the dose of realism, if you want to go full circle to what we talked about at the, at the very beginning. But um, yeah, what's been what's been challenging? Um, I think for me, because I am so enthusiastic about all of this health tech stuff, it's about keeping focus. So I keep getting all yeah. these amazing pictures yeah. about completely random things like eating disorder clinics, you know, or, you know, something that's hardware, for example, and it's, you know, and also AI and drug discovery, etc. All sorts of things are coming to me from all different angles. And lots of them are actually great ideas, but we can't invest in everything and we have to keep focus. So that for me is the biggest challenge. Um, also, I, I'm also struggling with not taking every radiology AI company that I think is great. You know, have to also <laughs> <laughs> have, to, have to have some some sort of control on that as well. Um, so, so those the idea of focus, I think, is actually really challenging uh, for me. Um, and I think yeah, funny, it's sort of diverging off tangent. But one of the things um, that I like is actually the idea of trying to as you mentioned, having a voice right here. Mm. And um, one of the challenges is also having a voice across all these different companies as you grow, you know, you want to make sure that you're helping them and adding value, but obviously that will change depending on where the company is, how, how big they are, and also how much time you have to really, you know, be on different boards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it reminds me of a story when I was at the Whittington, um, it just sort of, I don't, I don't know why the story is coming up even, but it's just, <laughs> Um, essentially, I was I was a first year, second year radiology trainee, and um, uh, someone said to me, you know, you never get paid in the first month that you're at Whittington. Um, I was like, oh, okay, that sounds weird, but hopefully that was not going to happen to me. And of course, the first month goes by, and then I don't get paid. And so, and it's just, it was shocking to me that everybody says, oh, it's just a radiology thing, you, know, you just don't get paid in the first month. So I decided as an SD2 radiologist to write to the chief executive, I emailed the chief exec and said, look, you know, I have turned up every day to work. I have done on call. I have done everything I wanted, you wanted me to do and you are not paying me. This is ridiculous. Mm. And the next day there was money in my account and an email. And then of course I get called in to see the head of radiology who told me off. Um, but the point is about having a voice, you know, and I think that it's really important for me that as you say, my personality and my voice is heard amongst the portfolio companies because it's it's really important when you're an investor that you're not just, I don't want to be just passive, you know? I want my expertise in some way to, to come across to the company as well. And that segues me beautifully into talking about the new podcast that you've got to do exactly this. So in order to, uh, I guess, amplify your voice and get those messages out, you've started a podcast. Tell me about that. Yes, it's um, a little bit outside my comfort zone. So, <laughs> you know, not as conversational and easygoing as you as a person, from what I can tell. Um, 
so I Ocon find water it. is all I'm going to say here. <laughs> <laughs> For this hour, it all seems really nice. But then uh, if I look at my phone and see the 150 emails, then it goes back <laughs> into panic mode. So don't, don't worry about that. So I found it a little bit challenging. But, you know, I think it's important as a, you know, female, as you mentioned, ethnic minority investor, I think it's important to have a voice. And yeah. Uh, and I'm create, trying to get that voice out there via this podcast. It's called the Help Tech VC. Um, and we're essentially interviewing people who are either founders, investors, or people who work at startups, leaders in the health tech space, um, across a whole broad, broad range of people, but trying to understand, you know, the challenges, the great things about health tech and trying to get out different issues that we discuss every um, every episode with them. Awesome. Um, and you've had what Neil's been on there and a few other people have been on there, some portfolio yeah. companies and you're getting some of your LBS mates on there. So yeah, I look forward to it. It should be, um, it should be a really good one. And I, I imagine that's going to be available everywhere that you can listen to podcasts or so Spotify, Apple, all the rest of it. So listen, Fiona, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, obviously learning all about Krista Garley Ventures has been great for me. I'm sure for the listeners too. For people that want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way for them to do so? Um, yeah, so Chris Gale Ventures is, is a health tech fund. We only do health tech. We invest across Europe at Seed and Series A. So if you're a founder and you, know, you have a great idea, please do get in touch. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at underscore Dr. Fiona or send an email to pictures at crystagalli.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.